Greetings, reader fans. Welcome to episode three of Data Slate, Late Radio's book review show, where we take space explorers out to the frontier to find new reading adventures. I'm your host, Station Commander Alan Stroud, and on this episode we'll be talking about all the latest convention and award news in science fiction and fantasy before moving on to our selected reading recommendations. Joining me is John Richardson from Starfleet Comms and also now a new additional member of the Lave Radio team as he lost his main show virginity earlier this week. How's things, John? Well, I've looked all over and I can't find that cherry anymore, I'm afraid. It's gone. So, <laughs> things are good very well, thank you, and it was a pleasure to be on the show. A moment's silence for that poor cherry. <laughs> yes, there you go. That's it gone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we gave it any silence, but anyway, anyway, it is all done. I know, obviously, they're in the middle of working on the edit for the episode, so that should go on to the stream at some point, either over the weekend or, or early into next week. A little bit delayed owing to the technical difficulties, but I'm sure the guys will sort that out. So episode 58, then all recorded. And then what we have to talk about is the latest science fiction and fantasy news from outside of Elite Dangerous. To start with, we had the social for the Nine Worlds convention. Now, the social is a meetup for some of the fans and people who are involved in organising the Nine Worlds convention. It's like a, an afternoon into evening where people bring some board games have a bit of a chat and just get to know each other. And that happened at the Doggett's Coat and Badge pub in London, down on South Bank, where basically myself, my partner Karen, and a few other friends, and also plenty of other people who are involved and also looking to attend the Nine Worlds convention, met up, had a bit of a drink, had a bit of food, played a few board games, had a bit of a chat. Pretty nice. Sounds good. I am particularly impressed with the name of the pub, though. I think... That is just awesome. Yeah, it, I mean, it's a pretty impressive pub, to be honest. It was like three, maybe four floors. Right. So you had like a terrace, and you had a, a floor beneath it, and you're on the on the side of the Thames, looking out over the Thames. Ooh, very nice. Um, yeah, having a, having a drink, you know, and, and the weather at the moment, it might have changed by the time this podcast released, but certainly the weather last Sunday, absolutely fantastic. So it was really, really nice. Lovely view, lovely company. It's quite surprising as you get a little older how seldom you get an opportunity to just meet up with a load of people and play a board game or two. Yeah, yeah, I can sympathise with that or identify with it even. So it does seem to be rarer and rarer these days. So how many people were there? I, I think it was pretty packed, to be honest. We probably had, you know, 100 or so over two floors. And there was a laid-on set of events mm -hmm. as well. They had some stuff that was sort of prepared for one particular room that you could take part in if you wanted to. Or you could just sit and socialise, which was, was nice. For me, I brought a few of my friends across. Well, I, I asked a few of my friends to come across and meet us. And it gave them an opportunity to see what Nine Worlds is about. Yeah. And at the same time, get to know a few people when they're not running around trying to manage a convention. Hmm. Sounds all very nice. Very civilised. Yeah. Unlike you. <laughs> oh, oh, oh nice nice it's gonna be that kind of podcast tonight yeah okay yes okay okay we know where we're going so yeah it was lovely and it took me quite a while to get there because the tubes and trains in london last weekend were particularly problematic so i ended up driving in on a sunday now i don't like driving in london but I chose to drive in. I it managed, you know, in the end, it was okay, but there were a few road closures as well, which made it a bit difficult. Sorry, but anyway, which part of London was this in? 
So it's on South Bank. So it was literally straight over Blackfriars Bridge. So my particular trouble was, I think the Jubilee line was shut. And I think um, it might have been the Metropolitan line was shut. But anyway, I tried to get onto a couple of stations because I was coming across from Hampshire. So I tried to get to a couple of stations and get onto one of the lines. And it was it was just tricky. Mm. So in the end, I drove in. And then when I drove in, Bow Street was shut. So <laughs> so then I, my, I had my sat-nav taking me around in this huge loop to try and get to a bridge. <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of going, oh, it starts at three. It starts at three. And I didn't get there till gone four. But it's a social, you know, and all that kind of stress that I was, I was kind of, you know, you turn up going, Oh, I'm not here on time. It's a social, right? You're there to chill out and enjoy yourself. So, and Karen had made her way down on the train. So we didn't leave till, I think we left about sort of 10, 11 o'clock and lovely, lovely time. Had a meal or two, played some games for Christmas. I got Betrayal at the house on the hill, which is a board game that's been out of print for a number of years it recently just came back into print at Christmas and, and almost instantly sold out again for a period of time. I managed to get a copy and it's fantastic. So um, got a, an opportunity to play that, which was great. And we got to meet up and chill out with the event organisers, which was really nice. With LaveCon coming up, Nine Worlds is a little bit after LaveCon and it was nice to sort of pick the brains of the, the people there and also for them to pick our brains and kind of talk through the things that we might be able to arrange for LaveCon. Last year at Nine Worlds, Lave Radio did two podcasts. We prepared two podcast shows that Chris Jarvis and I did for their podcast track. And we've said that we might be involved in that again this year. Uh, Might do a little bit more, see what happens. And also, I spoke on a couple of panels. So keen to do that again, which would be nice. Good. If anyone's interested in coming down to Nine Worlds this year, it's on the 7th to the 9th of August. It's at the Radisson Hotel near Heathrow. And last year, they got about 2,500 people. So it was really well attended. This year, who knows what's going to happen? And they do have all these lovely little tracks that give you an idea of the different events, and different things that are going on. A little bit similar to the way in which LaveCon works, but they're a bit bigger. And they've got a few more things going on that are a bit different to, to what we're doing. So interesting and certainly something that, you know, if you're interested in lots of different things about science fiction and fantasy, it's worth taking a look. If you want to go check them out, www.nineworlds.co.uk Brilliant. And then the next thing that we had to talk about, which is this year for the first time, I think it's for the first time this year, this year the Gemmel Awards are being announced at Nine Worlds. Now the Gemmel Awards long list was announced this week. And what this is, is if if you don't know, David Gemmel was a very well-known fantasy author and produced a fantastic series of books. Uh, the Draenei novels I, I really loved. Um, there's the Reganti stuff. There was also the John Chanel stuff, which was all a little bit sort of post-apocalyptic steampunk and Slip Strassy novels, which were, were great. And also did a couple of sort of alternative history with Lion of Macedon and the sequel that was about Alexander. So you had quite a lot of different fantasies he wrote. And he always wrote very gritty epic fantasy, I think is probably the best way to describe it. But anyway, there has been an award, a David Gemmel Award, for the last seven years. It splits into three categories, and those are the Morningstar Award for Best Debut Fantasy Novel in English, the Ravenheart Award for Best Fantasy Cover Art, and the Legend Award for Best Fantasy Novel. Now, as I say, the long list has just been announced. You can find it on www.gemmelawards.com. That's Gemmel with two L's. And you can go and take a look. 
Um, and on the voting panel, you'll notice that you can vote. It is a completely open award. So it allows you to, to take a look, to take a look down, find out whatever you like and whatever you've read. And you can take a look and decide what you want to vote for. So very popular and open award for fans to vote on. And as I say, the, the winners will be announced at Nine Worlds uh, at the convention. Sounds brilliant. So basically the message is vote. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you've taken a look, John, I mean, you might find it's one or two things you recognize yes. uh, down that list as uh, as things go on. Probably a couple of authors, a couple that, that you won't. But one, one of the things that's nice about these things is that when you look at an awards list, you can see maybe a few novels that you might have read and you might like or authors you might like. You can also see some that you haven't heard of. And that's always useful because it gives you another opportunity to pick something up. A bit of inspiration there, isn't it, really? So. Yeah. yeah, and or, or if you've missed that your favourite author has produced a new piece, it's something else there, yeah. isn't it? So, always worth so there's taking three awards there. There's the Legend Award, uh, the Morning Star Award, and the Ravenheart Award. I've noticed there, and some of the awards themselves look like really fearsome uh, weapons. The Legend Award yes. is almost like an, an axe. It's an axe. Yeah, <laughs> it's an axe. It's a double-sided axe. Yeah. It's kind of, it's it's named after Driss the Legend, yeah. I think, because Driss was, you know, the welder of the axe. And uh, yes. David Gemmell's book, Legend, is a, a classic fantasy story. Very, very gritty, desperate struggle of a small army versus a large army. You know, obviously slightly abstracted to be to be fantasy, but it's it's a big axe. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I'm just looking at that. You, you, get, a, you get a big axe, yeah. you know, that, that's the thing. And there's some great names down there, if you take a look. You've got... Joe Abercrombie, you've got Trudy Canavan, you've got Terry Brooks, you've got all sorts, Robin Hobb, yeah. Ian Irvin. Ian I was just looking you there. Know, there's, there's loads here. Elizabeth Moon, Adrian Tchaikovsky. You've got lots and lots of big names in fantasy and it'd be great to see you know great to see that that sort of go through healthy competition too you know authors are always very um friendly and generous about these these competitive things and i'm sure they'd all love to win but i'm sure they'll all be very congratulatory of whoever does mm. so it's a nice award it's a nice one to see that it's open and that you know it really does have a wide selection of authors listed so i think it'll be very interesting to see what happens with that Brilliant. So that's the long list, and the short list opens on the 1st of June, doesn't it? So, Yeah, at this stage you've got the opportunity to vote, so I suggest vote now. Yeah. It doesn't require you to sign up. What it does is, I think the award takes some sort of record of your IP address. I think that's basically how they've, they've set it, because I can't vote anymore. So... <laughs> so it must be how it works. Okay. And then obviously that uh, that allows you to, to vote and then recommend it to your friends. You ask any of your friends just to go take a look and, and see the authors that they like and the ones that uh, that they think should win. Okay, so that's at gemmelawards.com. Yes. Brilliant. All right, so we're going to go to a quick advert break and then, John, we're going to come back with your book choice. Is your life like this? Take that, evil pirate scum. Pew, 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 pew. Second technician Chris Forrester to the gantry. Second technician Forrester to the gantry. The vending machine is broken. I repeat, the vending machine is broken. It could be like this. Drive charging. 
to LaveCon, the science fiction and fantasy festival which celebrates creativity and is inspired by the computer game elite. Join us for board gaming, LARP, cosplay, LAN, tabletop roleplay, workshops, special guests and of course Elite Dangerous. LaveCon 2015 is being held on the 11th and 12th of July, just outside Northampton, England. Book your tickets at laveradio.com. Greetings Commanders, Second Technician Fozzer Forrester here. If you'd like to catch the crew of the Orange Sidewinder, we broadcast live every Tuesday at 8.30pm BST. Fly safe, and if you can't do that, fly dangerous. Is your life Right, and welcome back, listeners. So we're going to delve straight into John's book choice. And John, what have you got for us? I have got Red Mars by Kim Stanley Robinson. I read this uh, way, way back in in 92, uh, when it first released, I think. So that makes it, what, something like 22 years old or something, really? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. And I thought I'd give it another read to see if it was as good as how I remembered it, really, and see how it stood the test of time. And um, I've been reading it this this last week since the, the last podcast, and I must admit, a lot of the detail in it still strikes me as as really quite relevant in terms of technical detail in the book. It strikes me as um, being still good. So, to let people know what this is all about, essentially, uh, Red Mars is about the eventual terraforming of and colonization of Mars. And what they do is they take uh, 100 people, uh, put them on a spaceship, um, send them off to Mars on a long-distance journey where they're all awake. There's none of this um, going into deep sleep scenarios. The ship itself has got some wonderful detail attached to it in terms of the colours within the the ship change according to the seasons. There's lots of interesting detail on the ship, so it's not your boring white interior. It's got detail there to allow people to not go bonkers, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it, the journey goes. They sort of land on Mars, and uh, there's some people go on to Phobos, and they sort of um, set up a base in Phobos, and then of course you've got people setting up a base in Mars. So from a very technical level, you get all the descriptions about Mars, the planet itself. Um, you get stuff about the uh, not too outlandish technological aspects being used to to colonize and terraform uh, Mars but you get a lot of the human story as well now mm. some some of the method of delivering the human story I would I, I do find a little bit questionable there's this uh, Russian character in it called Maya who basically at the very beginning of the book you, you can see she's going to be trouble because she's bunking two blokes so that and there's a bit of jealousy going on there. I'm not. That's not a spoiler at all because that happens, and it's really at the beginning of the book. But it's almost like the the whole driver for the rest of the human stories within that book. So it's it's almost like the catalyst for everything else going on. Yeah, it's interesting. This is the first one we've looked at that I've also read. Yeah. So this is going to be a, a you know obviously interesting discussion about it um certainly i felt with the the characterization at the beginning with with maya you she she felt like a very um sort of level headed character 
to begin with yes. when it was with her perspective. Yes. And then we moved away from her perspective because when they land, we move off to, to Frank's perspective yep. and to some of the other perspectives. And when you see the other characters reflecting on her, you realize she's bonkers. Absolutely nut job. You know, she's a total she's, nut she's, job. Yeah, she's yeah. completely crazy. <laughs> um, and and it, it's very interesting to sort of see that different, you know, yeah. that sort of different interpretation. And certainly for me, it was when they, in terms of using perspectives like that, I hadn't really read anything at the point when I read it. I'd not read anything where the characters had been so sharply divided in their opinion of each other. And actually, it's quite interesting in the writing as well, because the priorities of the writing change depending on which character perspective is there. So if you've got someone who's, you know, sort of political, then the writing tends to, you know, focuses more towards those things. And you don't kind of notice that there's been a shift that's right. Until it starts to build and you're like, ah, you know, this, this whole game. And then you flip to someone else who really doesn't care about that. And, you know, and actually is, is playing something else. That's right. So it means the plot has a bit of a um, it's it, it's instead of being lots of agendas that are directly contradicting at, at given points to generate conflict. They sort of tessellate. They do. If you see what I yes. mean, which I, th- I found really interesting about. Well, it. I like it. It, it, it provides me with some interest, I think, because if you if you get, a, I know the stories are sort of multi-layered and you get different stories mm. within stories, but this provides me with a, a very interesting way of telling the story, or at least understanding it and reading it. So, I mean, for instance, I'm looking at through Nadia's uh, perspective at the moment, and she's a, a Russian engineer. And she's a very level-headed, very practical person, you know. So, of course, there's a lot of people in this book who, according to her, are absolutely bonkers. So, mm-hmm. and, and, and when you actually think about that, these are all people who've been gone through a selection process to be colonizers of, of Mars. And these are supposed to be the best of the best. And yet they've all got their own internal squabbles and own internal dialogues of opinions about each other. And it sort of it feels really big, doesn't it? Because mm. you you know that the story is not building towards, well, not directly building towards this sort of. You know, each agenda is not directly trying to fight each other. Agenda they do end up clashing. Yes. You know, I, there is some polarization and everything else. We're not giving anything away by saying that. But the the point is, is that initially they aren't necessarily polarized into these two camps. Yeah, and they all have their own different sort of ways about it. And because of that. Actually, you know, we're talking about Mars, talking about colonizing Mars. This is a huge undertaking. And, it, you know, he, he, he filters in so many elements of, uh, of technology. There are some references to modern technology taken into the future, a little bit like William Gibson. So when William Gibson talked about Sony and Neuromancer, here you have Boeing talked about yes. by Kim Stanley Robinson. It's very, very interesting. It kind of gives you, gives you a picture through using some of that. Some of the trucks, for instance, you were talking about the brand names being used. So you've got Mercedes-Benz Explorer trucks, you know, um, which are being used. And they've got the Boeing air filters, if you like. They're, they're yeah. being used um, as part of the – well, they weren't air filters. They're, they're water miners, uh, f- w- uh, mining water from the air. So, um, yeah, it was just really good. In fact, there's even mention – a casual mention a couple of times where they touch the screen of the computer and it pops out this result and all of that. But they've got touch screens in 1992, which we didn't really have. Mm. So, and it's almost like a, a just a brief mention, 
you know, but you just think, mm. oh, yeah, wow, touch screens, yeah. You know, yeah, the, the, the attention to detail is really, really excellent. And it is, I think, I think it's a little slower paced. I'll say that. Mm. I mean, in terms of if you were looking to read a book that absolutely encompasses the idea of colonizing Mars, this does it. You know, it does it realistically. It makes you think about it. It gives you such a vivid image of it. It does. It is a tiny bit slower paced. You know, it's not those. It's not one of those kind of action adventure books. Oh no, it's 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 definitely telling um, a story of something that is in progress, and you know, there is no there's no mad plot there to you know everybody's murdering each other or anything like that. There's nothing like that really going on. You know, but well, it's uh, well. There's, there's a there's a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to say. I didn't want to say too much because you know. <laughs> well, let's let's not deny that there is a little bit of there's a plot a bit, in yeah, that there's regard. A little bit of a plot in that regard, yeah. But um, it it certainly doesn't um, have the main focus, I don't think. No. So it's it's a book that deals with some of the bigger questions relating to should we do it? You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Relating to exploration, particularly this idea of a virgin soil and the idea of man terraforming an environment and thereby effectively destroying its natural state. Yeah. You know, the preservation of a natural state is very interesting, particularly on a on a dead world. You know, so so that idea, the tension between those things is interesting. It is. Also the the peak into the future where you see the state of Earth as it possibly could be and in fact probably is <laughs> you know overpopulation you know half the planet starving which it is anyway you know all of, all of these things are all mentioned there the corporations pretty much in charge governments are weak all of those themes are are still there in this book as well as in as in the other books that i've mentioned in the podcast series so far so it seems to be a recurrent theme it does have a little bit of the Asimov to it in that you've also got this sort of step back in terms of time periods. So where Asimov in Foundation, you know, there would be a section of the book dealing with this thing happening. And then we'd fast forward a few years and it would be at this crisis. And we'd fast forward a few years, it would be at this crisis. Yeah. With Red Mars, you've got that idea of the, the time on the ship, the initial colony, and then when subsequent uh, colonists turn up. Yeah. So you do have, it has that step back from the day-to-day involvement of everything that's going on. He does sort of come back into the moments that are, are crucial, important, doesn't he? Yes, so it's yeah. the important moments. So, yeah, I, I, I like it. I think it's good. I enjoy this book, and uh, I know that I enjoyed Green Mars and Blue Mars, the follow-ups. So, yeah. It's definitely a classic. It's one that um, is very interesting and certainly interesting to anyone reading science fiction that wants something that's detailed and thorough. Kim Stanley Robinson was at Worldcon last year, uh, did several talks in relation to current technology and challenges uh, about colonizing Mars and about our, our further exploration in space. So obviously still very involved in everything to, to do with that and very interested. Yes. This also won a, a Nebula Award. Yes. So, well, I was, you know, well, I was just looking at the award winning on that. So he's won the Hugo, he's won the Nebula, he's won the Locus. I'm not necessarily all for this book, of course, but um, the, and the other thing you were mentioning about use, use of technologies and given all the talks about Mars exploration and whatnot, of course, there's the Mars One project, which is currently being planned and people are being selected for. And there's a, I think there's about 100 people being selected for that as well, but there's only about 24 going in the initial tranche 
of, mm. of people going to Mars. And it just struck me, and one of the approaches that Kim Stanley Robinson took in this was seed Mars with all of this equipment, you know, from uh, landers beforehand. Mm. You've got things like the air filter systems, you've got some habitats going down there, you've got all sorts of other stuff going down there. And of course, we weren't very good at landing stuff on Mars until we actually discovered that Beagle did actually land. So, mm. but this Mars One project, I'm looking at it now, and it doesn't have any mention of preceding Mars with any equipment. So, I, I think it's going to be. It, it sounded very easy in Red Mars. I think it's going to be a lot tougher in real life. <laughs> well, maybe so. they could learn something from this. I mean, what they describe in in Red Mars is that stuff was was turning up years and years before, didn't yeah. they? You know, they basically all the all the robot equipment, all the all the flat pack furniture, all the modules. They're all sent there. So I think it's Nadia that starts brushing off some of the stuff to get things working. And, you know, she's mentioning that some of these things have been here a decade mm. or longer. But that's the point is that that's what they had to do to get everything there. That's right. So, you know, massive undertaking. And it does depict it in a really interesting way. Yes. So uh, that's Red Mars. And uh, it's available on Kindle edition at 149 hardcover twenty five ninety nine. 99 Paperback at twelve pounds and eight, an odd number, and uh, audio download at twenty two sixty five, and that's on Amazon.co.uk. You can also buy the audio cassette apparently for fifty nine ninety nine. The audio cassette. <laughs> yes, yes. I don't know if you'd seen that on the end. And there are some options to to buy it used uh, as well, or or new from resellers. Yeah. So uh, lots of opportunities to uh, to get hold of it uh, in a variety of different ways. Um, if you've not read it, where have you been? It's a great trilogy. Do consider picking this up because it's particularly current, as we've said, in terms of what's going on at the moment. And uh, you'll see direct parallels to things that are being talked about about space exploration. So when we come back, we'll move on to my book choice. Pilot, are you feeling isolated? Alone with only the cold rays of a dying neutron star to keep you company. Then you need to lock your coordinates onto the EDC. At the EDC network, you'll meet thousands of like-minded spacers. You'll get the latest trading news, entertainment news, current affairs and blatant gossip. Are you looking for a new career avenue? A wingman? A friend to share those lonely hours sat shooting beryllium out of asteroids. We have just the people you need to talk to. So power that frameshift into overdrive and log onto the EDC today. Subscription to the Elite Dangerous community on Facebook is free for the initial month and will then be billed at 50,000 credits per year on a tri-monthly basis. Zero cancellation policy is in place and will be vigorously enforced. Greetings, Commanders! Ambassador Crash here, and you're listening to Lave Radio, the hottest show this side of Dizzo. Join us live every Tuesday at 8.30pm BST for the latest news on Elite Dangerous and the fantastic community behind it. You can also chat to me live every Friday at 8pm BST on the official community Twitch stream, Crash Landing. Lave Radio. Crash tested and approved since the year 3200. Right, and welcome back. So we've been through John's book choice, we've talked about the news, and now we're on to my book choice for this evening. Now, I've chosen a book that I reviewed when it first came out, 
back in September last year, and that's The Relic Guild by Edward Cox. Now, this is the first in a series of books. I think he's doing three, might be more, don't know. But later this year, the second book in this set, The Cathedral of Known Things, comes out. So it's a good time to pick up the first one, to pick up The Relic Guild. It's on the Gemmell Awards long list, so you can take a look and, and perhaps it might be a new author that you'd want to take a look at and find out about. So I'll just read you the blurb to start with, and then you've got a bit of an idea about it. Magic caused the war. Magic is forbidden. Magic will save us. It was said the labyrinth had once been the great meeting place, a sprawling city at the heart of an endless maze where a million humans hosted the houses of the Ale Fair. The Ale Fair who had brought trade and riches and a future full of promise. But when the Thaumaturgists, overlords of humans and Ale Fair alike, went to war, everything was ruined and the labyrinth became an abandoned, forbidden zone where humans were trapped behind boundary walls 100 feet high. Now the Ale Fair are a distant memory and the Thaumaturgists have faded into myth. Young Clara struggles to survive in a dangerous and dysfunctional city where eyes are keen, nights are long, and the use of magic is punishable by death. She hides in the shadows, fearful that someone will discover she is touched by magic. She knows her days are numbered, but when a strange man named Fabian Moore returns to the labyrinth, Clara learns that magic serves a higher purpose and that some myths are much more deadly in the flesh. The only people Clara can trust are the Relic Guild, a secret band of magickers sworn to protect the labyrinth, but the Relic Guild are now too few. To truly defeat their old nemesis more, mightier help will be required. To save the labyrinth and the lives of one million humans, Clara and the Relic Guild must find a way to contact the worlds beyond their walls. There you go. Mm, that does sound very interesting, actually. I will take back my previously uh, mentioned words, which were not on the podcast. <laughs> where I said so I'm worried about just, this one. So let's just let's just make it plain to listeners. John has a problem with any word that has a and e stapled together. So a, as in a e, uh, the old sort of I think it's Celtic yes. expression of uh, the way in which that's used. That kind of puts you off a little bit, it doesn't does, it? Yeah, it just gets a bit awkward to read. I know it's daft, it's, uh, it's, it's, right. it's nonsensical and all of that, but I can't help it. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, the interesting thing with this is that a great deal of fantasy, I would say, is nostalgic. And it has this uh, quality about it whereby we fall into certain patterns as fantasy writers sometimes. The quest, the sort of Tolkien-style traditional ideas of fantasy often are you know you see them in other books you see them with other writers and what eddie does is he doesn't quite go that way it has enough of a, a kind of tweak and nod towards the traditional ideas that you would think of in a fantasy book but it also mixes in quite a lot of older mythology so you've got a little bit of norse going on in this you've got a little bit of greek going on in this and you certainly have a bit of steampunk too and some characters who are really, really different in that all of the people in the Relic Guild all have a certain individual power. So there's a different thing that they can do, each of them, because the magic expresses itself in a different way for each of them. So they are very, very unique in the way in which they're perceived uh, in certain uh, certain circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that from it. And I think giving everyone a unique ability is basically um, one way of expressing certain plot devices isn't it really and, and and helping them overcome certain obstacles along the way and whatnot you know i'm, I'm just coming across as such a cynic on this and i don't mean to because i love this sort of book really 
with Eddie's writing and you is know, it and convincing I, though when he's actually writing it? We spoke a little bit at EasterCon mm-hmm. where he did a reading of the second book, and the interesting thing with with Eddie's writing is that he's very good at generating myth in his own story. What I mean by that is that he makes you speculate as a reader about what these things are. When he says the labyrinth is endless, that it has no end, that it carries on forever. It makes you think about you know, the way in which he says it in the text. Makes you think, well, I wonder what's at the other end. Mm. Do, do you see what I mean? Yeah. And you know, or, or things like you must not let them in. There will be terrible consequences, which makes you think, what will the terrible consequences be? So he's very good at weaving those kind of little traps that make you, as a reader, start to think about. You start to think about what the consequences would be. Yeah, and, and your yeah, imagination. You're drawing yourself to, in, then. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know, and you start to speculate about what this world is, how it works, why it works, the way in which it works. It really feels very different because you've got this city called Labrys Town right at the centre of this labyrinth, which is humanity's last place. And it used to be connected to all the different realms of the Alphir that, uh, you know, they could pass through these portal doors. And the, the Alphir, effectively, they traded using Labrys Town. And the humans were a little bit sort of downtrodden. You know, they were the lowest of the low. But there was at least a connection between everything. And everybody was kind of trying to look out for each other. And then this war happened and they shut all the doors. So the humans are basically are in this town and it's like a, a fantasy version of Berlin during the airlift. Yeah. You've got one door that opens occasionally and a load of supplies come through and they kind of distribute them amongst the, you know, the one million populace. But that's it. And around this city is the labyrinth. And in the depths of the labyrinth are all the creatures that were defeated in the war and are all, you know, horrible. They, they're all out there somewhere. Um, and there are also these other powers that are keeping them in check and so on. So it, it's quite a complex idea, but he does, you know, he pulls it all together and he pulls it all together in such a way that you're looking at it and going, this isn't like any, it feels similar to a traditional fantasy, mm-hmm. but it's not, you know, it's a gritty city that we're running around in. It's got some of those key elements that you think of, but at the same time, so many things that really feel new, feel fresh in the way in which he's handling it. I'm looking at some of the reviews on this at the moment, and they're all very, very, very positive and seeing what a fresh look it is and, and all of this. And and something that I've uh, thought of, where is it? Basically, there's a mention here about the richness of Labrys Town and its varied residents. You know, so you must be doing a very good job of actually describing in the book the vibrancy of that place. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, as I say, there's a little bit of a trick in that, mm. you know, to try and make you populate it too. Yes. So, so that's the you trick know, and I, used. I, I think he speaks to the reader very well. And that's something that, that I think certainly brings the mythic quality of this out. And some of the iconography, you know, using a labyrinth. Uh, that immediately you know, gives you that mystic. Yeah, mysterious feel, doesn't it? And the idea of of it being almost like a punishment that the, these people are trapped in this place—it's almost like a like an underworld, you know. I think is quite clever as well. And the book, in terms of the way in which it's told, it's told in two consecutive timelines. So this is the tricky thing that he—I think he's he's managed to juggle it, but it does make a tricky thing between the reader and the characters because you've basically got the timeline just. I think it's just before the war or just as the war's starting. And then you've got a timeline after the war, which is Clara's timeline and is the present timeline. 
he switches between those two timelines. And there are characters who are in both timelines. So you have, you know, one or two of them are young in the first timeline and then they're old in the second one. Now, the tricky problem is, of course, is that those characters who occasionally have the perspective and stuff, those characters know more than the reader does because the timeline in the past is revealed gradually as to what the, you know, the problem was back then that they were trying to solve. And, you know, the timeline in the, in the present is working towards a problem they're trying to solve now. We get the sense that there are clues in the past timeline that are going to help them solve what's going on in the present. But there is this issue that you're connecting with characters, you're empathising and identifying with characters who know a little bit more about what's going on than you do. And so it makes it very difficult to be completely connected with them, if you see what yes, I mean. Yes, I do, yeah. So, yeah, so that's uh, the Relic Guild. Now, it's certainly worth taking a look now because then you've got the opportunity to, you know, to pick it up and read it before the second one comes out later this year. We have a review over at SF Book, which I did back in September. September, yeah, it was written on, on 18th of September, so it was written on the release date. Couldn't remember, there you go. So worth taking a look if you want to know more details about what I thought about it when I reviewed it then it's over there so you can find it at uh, www.sfbook.com slash the hyphen relic hyphen guild dot htm and it'll give you the idea of uh, of the bits and pieces that we've talked about here so yeah so it is a nice new take on a fantasy idea and we've got the the opportunity here for you know a good new writer to put a trilogy out there that's that's obviously it's getting good reviews it's nominated for uh, for awards and here's, here's a chance to support somebody who's you know really trying to make it within fantasy right now. And I think certainly he's got a lot of stories in him. I can see this working really well. I can see him then moving on to something else. And he's certainly a writer who thinks about what he's doing. Yes, I think um, you've already sold me on it and I've actually purchased it already. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if, if you do this every week, John, this is just, you know, I, I, I might as well just read off my bookshelf for yeah, you. Well, don't okay? do that, my God. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> or bankrupt you. It's going to be terrible. Okay, so the Relic Guild. If you're looking for it on Amazon, and you can find it, the Kindle edition is six pounds and two pence. The hardcover is sixteen pounds fifty nine. The paperback is fourteen pounds eighty eight, and the audio download is eighteen pounds thirty seven. Now there are there are also the the used and new options that are there and what's also worth checking out is going over to the Galance website www.galance.co.uk and if you're not entirely convinced and you think actually I'd like to get an idea of the kind of thing that Ed writes then what you can do is there is a free short story over on the Galance website if you type in in search if you type in the skin mechanic by Edward Cox or just the skin mechanic or the relic guild you'll find it and uh, he's published a little short story up there so you can read a little bit about how he writes you can get an idea of his style and you can find out whether it would be something that you probably like or something that you wouldn't you know so gives you a bit of a chance to to try before you buy as it were well, I wish I knew that. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. <laughs> well, you could, you know, you can also go to, to Amazon and look inside the pages and take a bit of a look in terms of what's been written there. You know, it's just another way in which you can engage with the author and get a, a little bit of an idea of what his writing's like. Brilliant. I'm just looking at some of the review on this, and it says, I love this book. It's a unique read that's action-packed and magic-fueled delight of well-written prose. It's epic and worth each and every page. 
This is an exciting debut from a writer who plainly loves what he has made, and I'm looking forward to the sequel already. Well, there you go. I mean, you know, can't say more than that. All I can tell you is, if you do get a chance to meet Ed, we will try and get him to LaveCon. I'll I'll twist his arm, see if we can get him to LaveCon. If you do get a chance to meet Ed, Ed is the most positive guy you will probably meet. And he's also known as Huggy Ed. He will hug everybody. Irrespective of who you are, he will give you a hug. He will ask first. He will ask permission. He's not one of those limpets. He doesn't just sort of turn up dragging along the leg of somebody. Ed is a huggy bloke. So yeah, so go take a look at the Relic Guild. I think uh, certainly be worthwhile to have a read of. Brilliant. All right, so that's it for another episode of Data Slate. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email info at laveradio.com. Facebook slash Lave Radio at Lave Radio on Twitter, or you can join the Skype chat channel by adding Fozza101 to your Skype contacts, uh, or even you can join our TeamSpeak server where commanders come to hang out for a chat, which is laveradio.teamspeak3.com. You can find more information about Starfleet Comms over on the website www.starfleetcoms.com where you can catch up with Commander Max Torps as he explores the galaxy in Elite Dangerous and see what they get up to with Artemis and an inexperienced bridge crew. Oh, that must have been a world of hurt. It was a world of hurt, and it? it always is, every time we do it. If you want to, you can go take a look at more reviews of fantasy and science fiction. You can find some over on the British Fantasy Society website, which is britishfantasysociety.com co.uk and over on sfbook.com you can find more of uh, the stuff that i'm reviewing regularly and that other people are reviewing as well i know Ant would be very interested and uh, and happy for people to come across and say hi and just check out some of the books so until next time enjoy reading those books commanders and please please watch out for those asteroids (laughs) 